The other thing about screening applicants is I look for what is their approach and what is their process for and their response. If someone tells me they have their own process, to me, that means they're going to make my life so much easier because they know their productivity style and they know what they need from me in order to be successful and the quality of their questions. What questions do they ask me to help me come to a quick decision or to help them screen whether or not this will be the best? So I look for those things as well. Welcome to Where the F Am I Heading? The podcast where meaningful conversations take place as we traverse the complicated life of adulthood. If you feel lost and troubled, our show aims to help shed some light on your life's concerns. Join your hosts, Ruth and Irene. Let's talk adulting. In today's episode, we're going to talk about how having an efficient process can help small business owners the importance of outsourcing the tasks, and as freelancers, what do you need to know to be successful in working remotely? To help us uncover all of these, our guest is the founder of System Culture Growth and my first ever client after transitioning as an online freelancer. Let's welcome Jess Hall Sapo. Hi, Jessica. Do you prefer to call you Jess or Jessica? Either one is fine. I always say Jess is shorter, so I'm, I like efficiency. <laughs> okay, yes, for sure. So hi, Jess. So can you tell us your story, a short introduction of yourself and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Jessica Holsapple, and I started my consulting business called Systems Culture and Growth, or SCG Consulting Group, kind of by accident. After I left the you know somewhat corporate world, I was trying to figure out what to do next. And I had built teams before and I had uh, refined processes and built systems from the ground up. Uh, And I had learned a lot from that journey. So I wanted to kind of pay that forward to other growing small businesses. So SCG focuses on small to medium sized businesses that are fast growing and they are looking to optimize the way that they're building and growing their systems, their culture, and their growth. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very interesting name of the business, System Culture Growth. So you've already given a short intro about your business as well. That Was it a project, a personal project at first, or is it really something you have visualized after coming out of the corporate environment? Yeah, that's a really great question. So throughout my career, I'd always kind of like started at the bottom and was quickly promoted and oftentimes not given a lot of structure. So I'm the type of person that likes to structure things myself. And once I created my own systems and processes, I was asked to train on those. So Mm -hmm. I would go to other locations or be sent for other things or be taken under the wing of, you know, the top person. And I really found that that was what I was most passionate about was training. And when I left my long-term career, I did start a passion project, if you will. It actually turned out that when I left that job, I didn't have anything else lined up. And I was with that company for a long time. I was pretty confident in securing a job because I had such a great track record. And it happened to be right before the holidays. And no one's hiring right before the holidays. Yeah. It's not a good time to look for a job. I submitted lots of resumes and got a lot of phone calls back and did quite a few interviews. And I knew that I had an opportunity to kind of reset myself. And when I went into those opportunities or those interviews, I just thought, you know what? It's not really for me. It's not going to scratch all the itches of all my skill sets that I had developed over the years. So I had turned down a couple of those opportunities. And through my internet search, I realized that you could work remotely. That was not really as well known of a thing six years ago as it is today. And so I started exploring that and tried to figure out what could I do where my skill set could adapt. And I actually started as an executive assistant to two Mm. uh, successful entrepreneurs in two different fields. And I realized a lot of my skill set could apply because I had been in a leadership position before and I knew what leaders were looking for. And then also I slowly started to realize that it was really hard for me to be in that position because I am such a strategic thinker and I like to be a decision maker and I wanted a little bit more responsibility. 
So I just, again, I was, you know, kind of just dabbling in the remote work and I decided on Thanksgiving, which we celebrate here in the U.S., to create a website. And it was based on, I can help you create more efficient processes in your business, utilizing automation tools, digitizing, whatever. And I didn't have like a clear scope of what that would look like, but through building that and through working in the uh, executive assistant world, I had got my first consulting gig six months after doing all that, which I was kind of pleasantly surprised, but it also kind of put me back on a more realistic track for myself Mm -hmm. of having been a manager at that time for probably over 10 years in some capacity. And so I just kind of fell into that and really just since then have been still insatiably curious of the entrepreneur's mind and love supporting people, helping people's visions come to life. So, yeah, yeah. actually, it's really interesting because you pointed an important detail about, you know, the background of the business, like a lot of businesses may have system or maybe they're not aware they they have a system or they have a system, but it's not efficient. And also there's an importance of having a great culture in order for their business to grow. So it's really interesting that you pointed this out. And I just want to know, because you mentioned that you are helping small businesses. So what are the types of services that you offer in your, your business? So because of my experience kind of going in and training and refining systems and building from the ground up and creating operations manuals and all types of systems, that's really what I'm particularly skilled at. But the people portion is, like you said, so incredibly important. So typically when I speak with a business owner, we're figuring out what their priorities are. What is Mm -hmm. keeping them stuck or where are they at in their business currently and where are they trying to get to? And that can be very different for everyone. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes a founder is at the point where they're ready to do more business. So they want more people. And I have a very long history of recruiting and staffing and interviewing and all of that. So that skill set comes in really handy when building the teams. But first, we want to make sure that the systems within the business are supporting a bigger team. So, yeah, so as far as services are concerned, kind of strategic, you know, leadership alignment, strategic outlook, and then often finding and selecting the right people for the right roles within the organization so it can continue to grow. Mm-hmm. And from there, we train on those systems and processes and we look forward towards the future. So it is kind of runs the gamut, but yeah, we focus on the vision, the organizational design, operations management, human resources, accounting and finance systems for operational procedures and sales and marketing systems for operational procedures as well. That's actually like the holistic services, if you may say, like it's not necessarily just for this particular process, but you can help small businesses, you know, to really scale their operation because sometimes it may not be just for the sales. It can also, they might need help in human relations, right? Or the other side of the business. And you mentioned a good point about you have to know where you are and where you want to go because the strategies that you've done or you've used to go to point A may not necessarily be the same to go to point B. So that's why it's really important to know your vision and you have to have that clear path. And sometimes business owners need help to have a clear vision and that's where you come in, right? To help them out. Absolutely. So you made a really good point of here you are today and all of the strategies and tactics that took you to get to this point aren't necessarily the ones that are going to take you to the next point. And we can all reflect back in our lives of, hey, those strategies and situations worked in my life up until this point. And now I'm ready for a bigger leap, right? A bigger change, a bigger growth. And we mentioned the you know six foundational systems that I I focus on, again, vision, organizational design, operations management, human resources, accounting and finance, and sales and marketing. There's one overarching system. That's your business system. So it is holistic. You do have to look at how everything operates and is integrated together. 
often um, entrepreneurs will come to me and they say, I need to hire 10 people. And I say, great. Why do we need to hire 10 people? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, what is it you're trying to achieve? Let's find out why it's 10 people, right? Maybe it's five. Would it be more cost effective to get the same amount of work done with five people as it is to hire 10? I'm not saying we don't, you know, trust the vision of the leader, but we do want to make sure that those foundational pieces are set up. We're looking at the system holistically to make sure we're making the right decisions to move forward. You know, you can hire a recruiter to find 10 people, but those 10 people might not integrate onto your team if it's not foundationally set up appropriately. And if there's not a clear vision and reason for having quote unquote bodies and seats, right? You might actually want to take a look at what are the job functions and distill down what we're actually looking for. So yeah, I know that I've definitely had employees <laughs> that can do the work of three people and it's only one person. And yeah. I know that myself, you know, I've gone into jobs and because I can be multifaceted, I could do the work of two people or get, you know, multiple projects done that uh, would usually require multiple people. But if you have the right person, maybe they can have a skill set that is complimentary and more work can be done. So it's all about efficiency, like I said at the top. Yes, that's right. And that's something a lot of people miss about efficiency. And it's not only about business, you know, even at work or, you know, your personal life. So that's why it's important at least to know and to, to really be efficient with what you do. So moving to the next question is, what do you think is the best strategy that small businesses can follow to grow their company? It's a big, wide, open, general question. <laughs> Let me do my best. So what is the biggest strategy small business owners can do to improve their business? Was that about it? Mm -hmm. Okay. We get so caught up in the day-to-day -day activities of the business. We've got to talk to clients. We've got to delegate. We've got to answer calls and emails and have meetings and look at the next thing going and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and we talked about how we efficiently run our lives and businesses. And I found that when you zoom out and you're actually really intentional about what it is you're doing, you have more impact, you get more done. So if I think about how I'm going to structure the eight to 12 hours of my day that I spend doing actual work, I take a look at what is essential and critical that needs to get done. And then I work the rest of my day around that. So I think business owners should be very intentional about, you know, in, in the technology world, they say sprints. And essentially there's very clear projects and things that they're trying to accomplish in a particular set of time. And when you start doing that, you're actually checking off milestones. You're actually accomplishing big you know, another term would be like rocks or milestones, or you're actually accomplishing things, right? As opposed to being busy, you're being productive. So zooming out and being super intentional about the work that you're doing, the direction that you're given, the direction that you and your team are going is going to help you accomplish more in less time. And actually, that's really good because sometimes the reason why people are overwhelmed, because we feel like we can do everything, especially for business owners. And that's why if there's something that you can just focus on something like a task, and then the other stuff that you think you can delegate, delegate it to your team, right? So related to the next question is, why is it best to outsource your task? Great question. I want to piggyback on kind of what you were saying. We tend to have an unrealistic expectation of ourselves that we can do everything, right? But I think some of us also have this expectation that we have to do everything. And that's where delegation becomes really tricky. So what I encourage business leaders to do, and every business leader is going to have a different temperament, but people like me that are, you know, kind of creating something from nothing and innovating, which a lot of business owners are, you're learning along the way. And some entrepreneurs can get caught up in the excitement of learning along the way, right? Mm -hmm. We're so excited by each new challenge, but if we don't assess how much of that our time is worth, then it takes 
twice as much, three times as much, five times as much time. So delegation is a really tricky topic for me because I'm like a, it depends kind of person, right? So it depends on the skill set of the people that you're working with. So number one, hire for the types of things that you need, that skill sets that are complementary to yours and things that you really think can be kind of second nature to someone else and things that, you know, are time consuming for you, but might be more simple for someone else, but don't necessarily delegate the things that you haven't quite figured out yourself. And what I mean by that is there are going to be things, for instance, if, if you're working with clients or customers, you really do need to hear what their feedback is directly. So either create a system for getting that 360 or two-way free feedback or start working with your clients directly, right? So you can get that feedback. And so you can assess those things. So I think what you were asking was, why is it important to delegate and outsource things? Well, I can speak from personal experience that I love writing. So writing actually helps me get really clear. But when I start creating a document, so basically in my business, every time I figure out a quote unquote system that I could think I think could be applied to another business. I create a template or I create a tool or I create a resource that I think could help someone else. And so I love creating the skeleton for that, but I have literally spent days on end trying to figure out the formatting of the document (laughs) itself or how to make it look pretty. And that is a really exhausting task. So I want people to think about what things do you do that look like magic to someone else? And when you outsource, what you'll find is you can outsource to people that make things look like magic to you. To them, it's just second nature because they're really good at it, right? Ruth is my document formatting, make it look pretty queen. And she is such a lifesaver. And I'm like literally flabbergasted of how did you do that? And I have another person I work with that helps me on design elements. And again, I've literally spent weeks on end where I'll get sucked into a project trying to design it. And then someone will turn it back to me in an hour and a half. And it is 10 times better than I ever could do. So I get really excited about people that make things look like magic. But business owners and entrepreneurs, we actually have to be honest with ourselves and say, what things do we do that look like magic to other people? That is where we should be focusing our time because we have this critical skill set that cannot be easily duplicated. And, you know, for instance, one of my superpowers, my magic powers is the fact that I can turn things into systems and processes and that I can visualize seemingly a day-to-day task and create this really powerful resource or tool for someone else or that to be replicated. So if that's where a lot of my time is spent kind of conceptualizing these things, I think that's a really good use of my time because it does look like magic to someone else. And if getting sucked into a design element or a formatting element element or any a number of the other things that I outsource actually <laughs> looks like the opposite of magic when I do it, <laughs> those are things that I need to get comfortable delegating. So I guess the takeaway from that would be business owners, what do you do that seems like magic to other people? Do not diminish your magical abilities by trying to do things that aren't in your wheelhouse. Let someone else do their magic so that you can focus on creating yours. I love how you say it. Not because you you praised me. (laughs) (laughs) There'll be more of that. So get used to it. (laughs) But I love the way you say it because it's like you're going to do more by doing the things that you are good at instead of wasting time for something that would really eat up a lot of time and then later on you feel you're not happy with the result so i love the way you see it and actually business owners should have that same mindset as well to to focus on your strength and if you can look for someone who can do the things that you are not good at especially those people who are good at doing that not just anyone else Right. May I make one more point on that is you had mentioned save yourself time. I don't think time is actually the most important resource when it comes to this. I think it's energy. So when I sit down to try to format a document or create design elements, 
it literally depletes my energy to the point where I want to take a nap or I want to quit the rest of the day or I don't want to move forward. That's not a good place to be as a business owner when it's two o'clock in the afternoon, right? You've got a lot more work to do. So focus on what's energy revitalizing for you and what's energy depleting. That's another way to look at it. So besides, if you can't figure out what your magic is, go, where do I get really energized and where would I love to spend all of my time? And where does my energy get really depleted? Mm -hmm. And there's a fine balance between knowing that, you know, at least 10% of our time spent in our business is going to be on things that are a little bit energy depleting, but that's just life, right? Sometimes we have to do laundry and do the things that we don't love to do. But that's another way to look at it is instead of looking at just the time, it's about the energy. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's a good point. I want to know, is the SCG process can be applied in any type of business model? A great question. Yeah, so I help service-based businesses, which is a big majority of businesses. That's where my heart lies. That's where my skill set and my experience lies, as opposed to products or manufacturing, or even necessarily creating particular technology. So the answer is yes. The SCG mm -hmm. system was specifically designed to be applied across industries. And it's really about the business owner implementing the thought processes that need to occur in each area of their business to have to create one cohesive business system. Mm -hmm. That's great to know. And one last thing from me is what has been the biggest challenge in your business? Wow. Well, how much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> this is a really good time to ask me this question because I think my answer would have changed frequently over the last six years. But I think it's about being really honest with yourself. So the biggest challenge is kind of overcoming your ego, what you want to be versus what is. So six years ago, when I jumped off the deep end and I said, I guess I'm doing this, I'm going to learn how to swim as I go. I came with a lot of experience and a lot of accolades and a lot of recognition and a lot of hard work and blood, sweat and tears put into my career. And, you know, certain compensation and benefits and all those things that come with having a quote unquote real job. And when you're jumping into something new, you feel a little entitled to be exactly what you think you're worth, but it's almost like starting over from scratch, right? So the biggest challenge has been being honest with myself, shining a light on the areas of myself, my life, my experience, my business acumen <laughs> that maybe I was trying to hide from or avoid or whatever, and just getting really honest and accepting those opportunities for growth, looking at those challenges and saying, all right, maybe I'm not the best salesperson. Well, that makes sense because I've been in operations forever and you know dabbled in sales, but it had never been my core responsibility. So what? Now I have to go learn how to sell to people? That's really frustrating. And I could get really frustrated and have no business. Or I could say, I got I guess I got to figure out how to sell this thing that I know can help people, right? So the biggest challenge is managing yourself, figuring out how you're going to overcome each challenge and what, what your mindset is going to be and how are you going to be able to adapt and change with all the things that you're going to have to learn through starting your own business. Wow, that's really inspiring. I feel like we're still in the halfway through, but it's so inspiring. So now we're going to make shift a little bit and talk about in the recruitment side, because you mentioned earlier that you have an experience about helping clients and, you know, get the right people to the team. So I will let Irene talk about it and ask questions around that section. Thank you. Very yeah. Much. Hi, Jess. So you mentioned earlier about what we were talking about, the outsourcing part, the, the maximizing that kind of field. You know, uh, most business owners doesn't really think it's until now. You mentioned that six years ago, it was kind of not really normal. But nowadays, it's very normal to actually hire people on the internet to do a lot of, of work for you you know, the remote, remote workers. So when recruiting remote workers, how do you filter your applicants? Yeah, thank you. Sorry for the pause. Wanted to kind of take that in. So how do I filter the applicants? 
when I'm outsourcing? Well, <laughs> I take time again to be really intentional, or I should say, it's my intention to be intentional. It doesn't always happen. I'll be honest. So entrepreneurs, we're known for chasing squirrels, right? We get a new idea. We start going for it. And every shiny new object feels like our way out or our way to get bigger and better and whatever. And so we can have a million ideas floating in our heads. And I have made the mistake and I catch myself on this still all the time. Ruth will attest to this. <laughs> that I will go, oh, I've got this thing. I've got this idea. And I start my search and I create a job description on uh, one of the platforms or I tap my team internally uh, or my you know resource team. And I'm like, all right, got this idea. Here's what I need, blah, blah, blah. And the time it takes for you to chase all of those things and then start, you know, screening all those people. I have found that I will do all that. And then by the time someone applies or responds or whatever, I'm like exhausted by the thought. I'm like, oh, I don't even want to do this anymore. <laughs> so um, how do I filter my applicants? I do my best to get really clear on what is the project? What is the deadline I'm, I'm wanting? What needs to happen? Why is it important to me? And then I try to think of how this is going to fit into my system in general, how much work am I going to have to put into it? How much time am I going to have to put into corresponding and communicating? And once you do that, it should be very clear what it is you're looking for. So once you actually take the time to take a look at what you're looking for, then you can search for those skills and you can filter out. So for instance, a good screening thing would be, okay, I was looking for someone to help me with my blogs and, you know, through people talking to me and giving me advice, I kept hearing this thing, SEO, right? So everybody stresses the importance of SEO. So I was like, all right, well, I know how to write a blog, but I don't know what SEO is. I don't know how to do it, you know, whatever. And so as I would posted the thing, I knew the one thing I was looking for was someone that specifically had written about SEO in their profile, because that meant they were paying attention to it. And also when I was screening applicants, I was saying, what was your knowledge of SEO? And generally speaking, most people were really honest. They say, this is how I approach it, or I don't necessarily optimize for that because they knew it was a critical skill or it was a skill set that there were other people that were experts. So to wrap that all up, I think I would say, be really clear and intentional about what it is you're looking for and what skills the individual needs to have, create a very clear job description and then screen accordingly to your like non-negotiables with what you're looking for. And that's, that's really great. Sometimes you can encounter people that they're hiring, but they don't know what they're really, who they are really hiring. So that can be a uh, trouble. Anyways, you mentioned about platforms. What platforms do you use to hire? Yeah, great question. So of course you would mention something and I want to pull on that thread a little bit. The other thing about screening applicants is I look for what is their approach and what is their process for the, and their response. If someone tells me they have their own process, to me, that means they're going to make my life so much easier because they know their productivity style and they know what they need from me in order to be successful and the quality of their questions. What questions do they ask me to help me come to a quick decision or to help them screen whether or not this will be the best? So I look for those things as well. Ruth is an expert at that. What platforms? So Upwork is a fantastic platform and it's gaining momentum by the day, which means that higher and higher quality candidates are going on there. I've also used Fiverr for some design things and maybe some kind of more technical things. I think Fiverr is like a great quick hit kind of thing where Upwork might be more long-term freelancers that I can develop a long-term working relationship with, which I think is great. And then I also look at contractors and consultants in kind of a similar field, assessing to myself, what caliber of expertise am I looking for? And if it's something very specific, and I think it's like, for instance, a branding consultant or a freelancer, I might jump to LinkedIn and do a search and then um, I've also been very successful in jumping into Facebook groups. There are freelancer Facebook groups. Yeah. So posting what I was looking for, getting a flood of candidates. And I'll tell you, this is the part that 
a lot of business owners fall flat on. So they post something and then they go on to do other things. And now they have a hundred resumes and that can, or like applications or responses. And that can feel really overwhelming. So often I, I see that they just don't move forward. And I think that's just such a waste of time, right? So I don't necessarily look through all 100 people. I will sort through the first several that come to me and say, what approach are they trying to take? What is the quality of their questions? What is their process if they've shared what their process is to me? And from there, you just got to test it out, right? Talk to someone, see how it works. Give them a couple projects where they can fail faster, succeed sooner. And then I mentioned, you know, I've posted on Facebook and then got a ton of responses. It is actually possible to reply to all those other people that you are not moving forward to. So um, that's not always my advice, but I will say I created a thank you message and copied and pasted it to everyone else just so they knew because my decision, I made the decision so quickly. I think, you know, Ruth, you were probably someone that responded like probably first. And I was like, wow, I really like the quality of a response. Let's move forward. And however many years we are here later, that proved to be a very good tactic for both of us. <laughs> yeah. And then I realized now, uh, that's the reason why we got together because my email to you was so short and direct. And maybe that's the reason why. <laughs> and intentional. Yeah, exactly. And knowing that about yourself, or let me flip it to the other way, freelancers, understand personality types, understand that if you're going to work for entrepreneurs and business owners, we're kind of predictable in some ways. One of our core traits, or I should say people like me is direct to the point, you know, just tell me how much it's going to cost and how you're going to solve my pain point. And I'm, I'm ready to make a decision, right? So kind of understand who you're talking to and you can get a sense by how they posted things or how their initial correspondence went. So absolutely, Ruth, your first message to how we work together today has always been because you are very intentional about your messaging. You are very timely in your messaging and it's always clear and concise to where I don't have to think a lot. You help me make a decision very quickly. And sometimes you help me make a decision by giving me multiple choices and that's super helpful. And also sometimes you'll just take the project run and then give me options. Say, do you like option A, B, or C? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, thank you. I didn't even know I needed that, but that was something I didn't even visualize and you helped it come to life for me. So yes, know who you're speaking to. And, you know, I've worked with other types of freelancers, web designers, photographers, all these other kind of things. This is me and my personal style. I will own this. But if someone tells me the six reasons why they reached out and the six reasons why this day will work and this day won't work and all the background information, I know personally that that is most likely not going to be a good fit for me. You know, cut all that out and just tell me, this is the reason I want to work with you. Here are the things I have questions or concerns about. And here's how I'd like us to move forward or how would you like to move forward, right? So there's even more uh, don't do this than there are do do this <laughs> advice that I could give. <laughs> I, I actually really, really agree with you to all of the points you have because I have encountered a lot of freelancers that some of them I'm teaching them how to actually find a job online and some of them I'm hiring them myself. But then I remember someone reached out to me and they want the job that I posted. And then I set up an appointment for the interview. And then this person canceled the interview because she had to do laundry. And I was like, get your yeah. priorities straight. So yeah. <laughs> that's kind of terrible experience for hiring part. But let, let's move forward. So what are the skills or characteristics that a remote worker should have to become successful? Great question. And I am going to envision Ruth as my subject. Okay. Yes. So like Ruth said, her first message to me was very clear and direct and to the point. And I did not hesitate at all. I said, where do I send payment and when can we start? <laughs> so first 
knowing what services you offer. Be very clear. Start figuring out what are your magical powers and what things should you not try just because you want to make money or try to do because you were more or less asking for someone's hard earned money and it's very hard to give it up and you're building your own reputation. So you want to be masterfully skilled at some things and you want to pass some other things up as hard as that might seem as a freelancer. I encourage you to not try to experiment on someone else's time. <laughs> be very clear of what your work hours are and what your work style is. You don't necessarily have to be direct of this is how I do things, blah, 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 blah. But if you know yourself that you're working a full-time job or a part-time job and you can freelance on your other hours, you want to make sure your expectations are aligned with the person that you're working with. So be very clear on that. You also want to take a real assessment of how much you're charging. Make sure it's going to be comfortable for you in the long run. I think we've all probably learned this the hard way, right? Because once you accept something, and let's just say I'm in the U.S., but if you're overseas, let's say you accept something at $6 an hour, which in some places, $6 U.S. dollars an hour, which in some places is great money, particularly if it's a side job. And you kind of bite off more than you can chew, and it's a lot of work, and you're losing sleep because you're building this side hustle, right? And it no longer becomes sustainable for you. Well, you have made a commitment to the person you're working with. And if it's a business owner, we were heavily relying on the people that we outsource to. And I don't want to know it's because you have to do laundry, <laughs> right? You have to pay for your detergent. You have to pay for your transportation to go to the laundry facility to do all that. I don't care about all of that. I want to know what is it going to cost me and what am I going to get in return, right? So I would say a freelancer, maybe if you think whatever your first instinct for what you should charge, maybe you should add a couple dollars on top of that just to experiment with that. Try something a little higher because again, as a business owner in the US, $8 an hour is still a great, great thing. It's half the cost of at least for what it would cost to hire someone in the US. And I'm not going to know that you would have taken six, but you asked for eight. I'm not going to know any of that. But what I do want to know is that if you're making a commitment to me and the job that you're doing, that you're happy with that and you're going to follow through on your commitment. So one, know what your skill set is and start your core messaging and offers around that. Get really clear on your availability and when you can work and when you can turn things around by. Be very honest. And again, I think that applies with the same type of rule. If you think you could do it in one hour, uh, maybe set the expectation that you'll have it by the end of the day to that person, just in case any hiccups come up. And then last, know your, uh, know your rates and feel really comfortable with those so that you're going to continue to produce high quality work in the long run. Yeah, that's really a lot of good information to take note for the freelancers that want to start and those who already are in the business, but then don't know their pricing point. Yeah. And I will tell you, I'm subjecting myself to a little bit of hatred from business owners that I'm saying, raise your rates, <laughs> but I think it's worth it in the long run. And what I care about is quality and consistency versus short term, you know, a couple of dollars here. It can happen sometimes that business owners would really try to maximize mm. the budget that they have. Instead of, like you mentioned earlier, instead of hiring 10, maybe we hire three people and then let those three people do the work for 10. But it's up to the freelancers at, and at the end of the day to agree to that, right? That's a great point. Absolutely. You are, you are taking ownership of realistically agreeing to what you can or cannot deliver. We don't always know what's possible. So we're going to try to throw it all at you. It's up to you to say, and Ruth has a great structure for how to do this. So you know, she'll say, I can do this and this by this date and this and this by this date. Is that going to work for you? And often I'm just like, yeah, sure. Great. Thanks. <laughs> but if I, if I'm telling her I need these 10 things and if she was on the other end going, oh my goodness, I'm so overwhelmed. There's 10 things to do. Well, I didn't say you had to do all those 10 things in one day. As long as you're clarifying the expectations, oftentimes you can come to a, a quick agreement before you even start on those projects, just to make sure you're on the same page. Great. So now there's a lot of people that are willing to hire someone without experience. So are you that kind of person that are willing to hire someone without experience? 
The answer is no. Me personally, no. And that's just because of the size and stage where my business is at. I can do a lot of things myself, but I don't choose to take all of them. I have to be very realistic about my time and I have to look to see what's most effective and efficient with my time. But to me, that means that I'm going to outsource the areas that I'm not an expert in, but I do want someone with a level of expertise. I'm not saying you have to be a master or an expert, blog writer, website developer, whatever it is, but you have to impress me to a degree that you make it look like magic. (laughs) So my short answer is me personally, no, but that's not to say I haven't in the past. And I've been pleasantly surprised by people's growth, but me managing my time, it's got to be someone that does things better than I do them. (laughs) Yeah. And that's your choices because you want to work efficiently. You're You mentioned earlier, you're a kind of person that wants to take control and you don't want to control other people, but you just want to control your business. Yeah. And in the future, I hope that I grow big enough to where I can take on, like people could work underneath Ruth, right? And she could train them to, to do a job, you know, maybe little to no experience, but I know that if they follow her recipe, I'll be very happy. So as you mentioned, like you don't really want to hire someone without experience. And did you ever have a bad experience with hiring a remote worker? I will say I've had a lot of learning experiences. I interpreted them as very painful at the time, but it just helped me get better at recruiting and delegating and and managing my time and what I was looking for. And that was all learning. So yeah, I'll give you an example I was looking for someone to help me in kind of the social media realm. And again, those are things that I know how to make a post and I can, you know, write some like, I'm not saying I'm good at it, (laughs) but I know how to do it. Right. And so if I'm saying, okay, what I think I need is this. And you're saying, okay, great. And then when you actually send it back to me, I'm like, oh, that's not that great. And I'm relying on you to be some sort of expert. I actually want you to tell me, hey, I've got this other idea or I hear that idea. I'm going to create that for you, but let me give you a couple other examples and see if you like this. And typically if I can see the higher quality of work produced by your expertise, I'm going to want to go with that. So I get a little disappointed when someone doesn't own their own process. And this might sound counterintuitive because I'm telling them what to do, (laughs) but really I want you to tell me what I don't know, right? So I think the end result was me not continuing because I was like, I could have done those things better. That makes sense. And maybe that goes back to that control thing. But again, when someone makes it look like magic, that's when I'm like, take all my money. <laughs> yeah, it has, it has to be like that. Because it's really rare to find someone with initiative, to be honest, in, in, the, in, the, in the freelancing. When, when you're hiring someone, it's so rare to find someone that would give you extra of what you ask. Yeah. And I I just want to point out too that like there's this whole dynamic of you're working for someone that is paying you. And so we have this unspoken feeling that we should do whatever they tell us, right? Because they're exchanged for money. But again, I'm, I'm saying that as business owners and entrepreneurs, we don't always know what we need. We have a pretty clear and we're pretty passionate about the direction we want things. But if this is all you do is social media, or this is all you do is formatting documents, you're going to know a heck of a lot more than I do, which means you're going to be able to bring new and better ideas to the table. So I actually encourage freelancers to say, there's a a different way to do this or indirectly say, here's the process, right? I know you're giving me directive, but there's a better way of doing it. And there's a, that's a very core skill set that it sounds like you and Ruth are figuring out for how to train freelancers because it, it's not natural for us to tell the person that's paying us how to do things. <laughs> you know, yeah, being an employee, we just nod our heads and we say yes to whatever is being instructed of us because we understand that that's what's being asked of us. But in the freelance world, you are your own boss. You are your own expert in a particular area. So you have to own your own process and you have to guide your clients. Just like I do as a consultant, I have to guide the best interests of my clients based on the results that they're looking for, not based on what they're telling me they want. Because if they're telling me they want 10 people and I know we can 
do the same amount of work with five people, I know it's in their best interest. We're just looking at the goal. We're not looking at the how, right? So I think that's a, a trap some freelancers could fall into that I would uh, recommend avoiding. Mm-hmm. I yes. just want to piggyback on that because I've been talking to a lot of freelancer friends who are new to the environment, especially for those who just came out of corporate world because that's their dilemma. Sometimes when you're freshly out of that corporate setting, you have this connotation that you only have to follow what the client is telling you. Mm. And I'm telling them in this kind of environment, you are the one setting the foundation of what you do in just word your process. So you have the say, you have the say, and you can actually, especially during the hiring process, you as a freelancer can also interview your potential client because mm. that's the way to know if this is a good business relationship. It's not just an employer-employee type of setting. So that's what I'm trying to tell them to have that change of mindset. That's absolutely, absolutely true. And like you said, you're interviewing them as well. And I will tell you that not every business owner is going to have the same perspective as me. I like to be a little challenged. I'd like to be guided in the right direction. I'd like someone else to have their own process because it's one less thing for me to think about. But there's other people that just want you to do what you're told. So interview and see, hey, Ruth, maybe this is another piece of advice you could give the people that you're training. You could also say, if you're the type of person that likes to take direction, this is the type of client you look for. If you're the type of person that wants to take control over your freelancing hours and make your work feel meaningful and productive and work in accordance to the rest of your life, then this is the type of client you're looking for. So maybe assessing what type of person someone is and finding the right client match is also a solution. Mm-hmm. Yes, I totally agree. <laughs> Suddenly, Now, I really, really agree to that because we do have some clients as well. And I used to do designing for uh, different people way back. And the thing that they would send me an example of what they want is very different from what they really want. So what I would do is it doesn't harm to give a few extra different styles and design different colors. It doesn't harm. Just try to be generous. Don't think of it like you work extra to give them just a little bit of improvement. Yeah, it helps. Yes. And it's not necessarily giving extra because I say it's saving you time. If you come back to me and you give me a graphic that's blue and I didn't tell you I wanted purple, but somewhere in my mystical, magical head, I wanted purple. (laughs) What if you gave me blue, purple and, and teal, then you gave me choices. But if you just gave me blue, I'm going to say, no, try another color. And you're going to try all the colors of the rainbow until you hit what was the color I was looking for? Purple. (laughs) Uh, And you're not going to know. So it actually saves you and your client time in the long run for you to do just that extra second of changing the color in the background, right? And giving them a few options. I I did that all the time as an employee. My boss would tell me something to do and I'd shake my head and say yes, but I knew that I had a, I could figure out a system that was more efficient that worked for me. And all I was worried about was hitting the results that they were asking for and then provided them saying, okay, great. This is how you asked me to do it. And, but I came up with this other way. And then that led me to multiple promotions because they were like, oh, great. Can you go train other people how to do that? That's way more efficient. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the kind of skills or I don't know if skills, but it's just something that you have to really think as a freelancer to do the initiative. At the same time, like what you said earlier, you have to see what kind of client do you have. Are they willing to listen or not? And most of them doesn't really want to listen. May I ask, did both of you know that when you started freelancing or did you figure that out over time? For me, I figured that out along the way of freelancing because some of them are really, really from the beginning of like when they interview me, I can already feel what kind of <laughs> client they are, like so stern, the voice, you know, the structure. Mm. Then I know that they really know what they want. Mm. And then I will not even challenge them. But then at some point when someone says, hey, Irene, just 
want this, maybe this and that, then I know that this is the easy client because it's just like provide them with a lot of resources and they would just pick from it and then it's easier. How about you, Ruth? I would say before I enter the remote world, the remote environment, I made a foundation within myself first. Like I set a set of values mm. of who I am as a freelancer. And in that way, I was able to filter the type of clients that I'll be working with. So it's like, it would be easier if you already know what type of service that you are going to accept and to filter what type of clients you are going to work with. Because it's going to be something that you will be doing. And since you are not in the office setting, you will be doing it by yourself. So you really have to have that structure. I feel honored that we're aligned on values, Ruth. So thank yeah. you for that. That's why you two clicked way back mm -hmm. until now. <laughs> yeah. So now let's move to my last question. How do you promote a positive work environment with your remote, remote workers? I love that question. And it's really challenging, right? And if we're looking at it from the framework of you're building an intentionally full-time remote distributed team, that's one lens, right? Because those are employees of your company, just like if you were to all walk into an office environment together. But the type of structure I have where I have a remote contract freelancers working with me, there's even more variability because I understand that all these people have other clients and other jobs and everything else. But this comes down to what Ruth was talking about, values. I know that whenever I go into someone else's organization, I'm focused on three critical things, systems, culture, and growth. And I have to be very conscientious about all of them. Without systems, it's really hard to build a culture that's going to help you to grow. Without being growth-oriented, it's really hard to have fun with the culture, in my opinion. And yeah, without systems, you can't grow. So I got really intentional about my own business, you know, just in the last couple of years of saying... I cannot go into other people's organizations preaching systems, culture, and growth if I don't have that in my own business. So when I've worked with the same contractors and freelancers since I started, and I think that it feels really special to me uh, because we've developed such strong relationships. And I know that I want to create a culture where people feel autonomous in their role. They feel like they're part of something that's meaningful for them. They feel respected that I understand that they have other clients and other aspects of their life. And that is a two-way street of feedback. So that was really important for me. So I've also introduced other people into my team where maybe they're more like innately, I'm kind of the type of person that just wants to say what needs to be done and get things done without necessarily, you know, previously, it wasn't about building relationships for me. And more recently, I realized, you know, you're not actually as efficient or effective if you don't build relationships with people understanding that everyone has their own human needs. So if I introduce another person into the mix, even though we're like not this connected necessarily, uh, like necessarily a connected team, and if that person's energy isn't directly aligned with the type of energy I want to bring with the team, then I have to have a side conversation with that person and say, hey, I know this looks like a remote distributed team. And I know that all these other people are freelancers and freelancers and they don't directly work for SCG. But when we're meeting together, they do. And we are a team and we're all going towards the same goal. I'll share something very specific. So I might only get on a call with Ruth, what, once every couple of months, probably something like that, if that. And when I do, I think that time is really special and sacred to me. So I want to know at least for 10 or 15 minutes, how you doing? What else is going on in your other job? What's the weather like? How's, you know, where are you traveling? You know, freelancers travel often. What exciting things are in your life? And for some people that might feel like a waste of time. For me, it's critical and it's non-negotiable. And I want you to know what's going on in my life and what's changed in my business and all of that. And if we only have 15 minutes to do that and that gets us by for the next three months, <laughs> that's 15 minutes well spent, right? Yes. But if we don't do that, that's not okay with me. That doesn't align with my values of creating a connected team and developing relationships that are long-term directed towards the same set of goals. So hopefully I answered your question. Yes, it, it sounds like it's 
kind of fun to work with you <laughs> or for you. It is. I would hope so. I, I know it's it can be a challenge, but I am my goal is to be as self-aware as possible and to get as much feedback. Actually, I heard a lot of story from Ruth about uh-oh, you uh-oh. <laughs> because no, no, <laughs> I heard a lot of good things about you. Yeah. And I think I bring her into my big grand visions sometimes. And sometimes those are months or years <laughs> projected into the future. So I appreciate that she engages and entertains. And again, we're both kind of connected on the same vision for SCG and whether it's happening tomorrow or 10 years from now, it's good to be connected on that level and sharing the same values. Mm-hmm. Great. And it's the importance of sharing values with anyone because it builds relationship, right? So and this is really a good conversation. I was like, I feel like I'm just listening to the podcast already. So there's a mm. lot of pro tips here and there. And hopefully the listeners are enjoying this episode and really get a lot of golden nuggets. So we're already in the closing part of our episode. And I know you've already shared a lot of good tips here and there. But, you know, final tips for aspiring remote workers or freelancers who are new to the field, something that you haven't shared or you wanted to add? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I didn't share is that I have been or I was kind of a digital nomad as well. So six years ago when I started the company, my first consulting gig was out of state. So I lived for three months in a different location on the client's property. And that's kind of where I was like, okay, well, I guess I work remotely, right? Because it's not actually my home. And then I had this desire to travel and I went to Europe. And I had to figure out how to be a freelancer while I also wanted to be a tourist really bad. So I would say, although it's attractive to work from anywhere in the world as a freelancer, given the opportunity, it's not always the best idea when you're trying to start your own business, right? So as a freelancer, you need to make income and you just need to determine your priorities. Do you want to establish your client base while you're really set somewhere and you can grow a foundation and then travel from there? Or do you want to travel, be a tourist and just make a little money on the side? And that's an individual perspective. For me, what I learned after three years of living out of a suitcase was that I needed to get a little bit more grounded, focus on the foundation of growing my business and travel for work instead. So now I get to, when I, when I travel, it is for the pure intention of going to a conference or a meeting or doing client work. So I think that's one of the big takeaways is freelancing and digital nomadism kind of go hand in hand. So as a tip, I would just share on top of everything else that I shared, figure out if traveling is right for you. And if now's the right time, because you could establish your business in six, your freelancing business in six months, and then go travel for the rest of your life if you wanted to. But it's kind of hard to focus on building your, your freelancing business while you're also working out itinerary, where you're going to sleep that night and how how you're going to afford to travel. So that would be my one takeaway that I didn't share. Yeah, that's right. Set priorities. That's really important. Mm-hmm. And now on the side of the business owners, small business owners, what advice you can give, especially for those who would cope with changes, especially now in pandemic, a lot has changed, you know, what advice you can give them? Don't resist the change. The longer you resist the harder it's going to be. The quicker you can accept that the world is a different place, the quicker you can use all your brilliant skills as an entrepreneur to innovate and to adapt to change and to think strategically, the quicker you can apply that to how to effectively run your business in this day and age and the future that is already upon us. Short, but deep. (laughs) Yes. This is really a great conversation, Jess. Thank you so much. So do you have any page or like, you know, website website you, they can follow you? Or podcast? All of the above. So um, Systems Culture Growth is my website and uh, you can find all my social media links on there. But if you want to follow me directly, I'm most active on LinkedIn. You could just type in my name. There's not that many Jessica Holzapples, so it should be pretty easy to find me. And I'm doing a lot of blogging over there, sharing my unique perspectives. 
And then, yeah, spoiler alert, I am launching a, a podcast series, a video podcast series on YouTube. And YouTube definitely inspired me to do that. I was like, listen, if Ruth can juggle all that she juggles and create, and I listened to an episode and I was like, wow, this is super powerful. And it's really important, the message that you two are putting out because you are experienced freelancers that are doing it right. And you're also creating your own platform to help people that are following in your footsteps. So I think that's really powerful. And that's the kind of value I want to add to my listeners and followers of, you know, what can we all learn together and share that insight? So I'll be doing that over at YouTube and that's at um, the Systems Culture Growth YouTube page or SCG Consultant Group, which again, you can find on a link from my website. And we will share that link on the caption once we release this episode. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Jess. It's so wonderful to have you. And thank you for sharing your expertise, your experience and insight. So there you have it. Thank you, Jess. Thank you both so much and keep up the great work. And I know there's a lot of sleepless nights involved with this, but you're doing great work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So that's all we have for you today. Thank you for listening. If you're interested in anything and everything about adulting, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at where.the.f.m.i.heading. Catch us again next Wednesday for another episode of Where the F Am I Heading?